0: Is an Odyssey original.
1: This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. More children, including those too young to be vaccinated are winding up in the hospital with COVID-19. Many Americans say the CDC's changing guidance
2: is confusing and frustrating.
1: And is the pandemic making you want to give up your New Year's resolution already?
2: We start with the rising number of kids in the hospitals with COVID. CDC says the pediatric hospitalization rate is higher now than at any other point in the pandemic so far. Dr. Sarah Coombs, Pediatric Emergency Physician at the Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. So, doctor, is Omicron worse for the younger kids or is it just the fact that they can't get the vaccines?
3: It's a great question. We're honestly not sure if it's just that it's worse for them or just that they're in the unable to be vaccinated group. It's probably the latter, to be honest, because we know in other age groups that by and large, the hospitalized, both children and adults tend to be unvaccinated. So we do think that the vaccine, even if it doesn't completely prevent you getting the Omicron wave, is going to help with making those symptoms milder and let you stay at home rather than come on into the hospital. We certainly, you mentioned I'm here in Washington, DC. I'm an emergency medicine doc at Children's National Hospital on the front lines. We are seeing just high, high numbers of children across the board with COVID. And about 50% of our hospitalized kids are in that zero to five age range. We in total have more than 50 children in the hospital right now. So that is way up from our peak during the Delta wave, where we peaked out at 23 children. So completely the same as what we're seeing across the country and what you're mentioning, high numbers of children with COVID and high numbers of the younger children getting sick, coming into the hospital, needing help with breathing.
1: Okay, so let's say you're a parent and your child, I mean, you know, I don't need to tell you, I mean, little, you know, kids get sick all the time, right? Uh, Your child is uh, displaying some symptoms. How do you know it's time to bundle up your, your child and go running to the ER. And as you also know, ERs are, are packed as it is.
3: Absolutely. I think this is the key question, especially as we're often talking about symptoms related to breathing, which is obviously a key function, as we all know. So I'd say the way to know if it's time to come into the emergency room is you're really looking out to say, is my child having trouble breathing? So a lot of children... Even with COVID, they may get just a runny nose, maybe a bit of a cough, maybe some sore throat, but they'll be able to breathe normally. They'll be able to eat and drink normally and go about their normal everyday activities. In that case, stay at home, isolate, try and get your hands on an at-home kit. If, on the other hand, you look over and notice that your child is breathing heavily, is huffing and puffing, is breathing very quickly, many, many times a minute, Or if you pull up their shirt and you notice that between their ribs, the skin and tissue is sucking in, that's what we call retractions in the medical field, that's a sign that your child is using increased work to breathe. You want to go ahead and bring that child into us in the emergency room.
2: Since they can't get the vaccine yet, I guess, what, try and get everyone who's around them vaccinated if they're not already? 100%
3: that is the best piece of advice. We think of it like a protective cocoon. You know, we know that the more people around who are vaccinated, hopefully we can reach herd immunity. And certainly within a family, I will share that personally, I have a 22 month old, so he is not vaccine eligible yet. So both myself, my husband are vaccinated and anyone that we allow to interact with him, we make sure they are vaccinated and ideally boosted.
2: Dr. Sarah Coombs, Pediatric Emergency Medicine Physician, Children's National Hospital in
1: D.C. The CDC is taking a beating with many Americans frustrated by the agency's changing and sometimes unclear messaging. CNN is reporting that... CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky is working with a media consultant to improve her communication skills.
2: Is it uh, too little, too late for Americans feeling the pandemic fatigue? Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford, Dr. Why hasn't the agency been able to get this right?
0: I mean, I think the fundamental problem, and uh, you know, the reason why we're seeing this confusing messaging, is not actually the messaging itself, but because it's the CDC, the FDA, the government has not clearly articulated the goals of the recommendations. Uh, They've sort of had this like, uh, you know, they haven't exactly said, but they've sort of had this disease eradication goal. Let's get the disease to go away. But that's failed because it was always impossible. It's a respiratory virus and it's going to be with us forever. There is no technology we possess to make the virus go away. There are animals that get it. 80% of white-tailed deer in the U.S. have antibodies to this. And so they they haven't yet embraced that the achievable goal, which is protecting the vulnerable while minimizing social disruption. And so the confused messaging reflects their confused thinking about the ultimate policy goal, which has to be protection of the vulnerable. Not disease eradication, which is an impossible goal.
2: Yeah, we were talking yesterday about the the op eds that went out saying they've got it. They've got to shift this. Um, do you want to give the example of the latest round that has gotten people confused? Because I think also it just doesn't make a lot of sense to people. So they say, okay, if you test positive, and correct me at any point if I get lost here. If you test positive, you go home, you isolate for five days, and then if you want, you can take a test to see if you're positive still, but you don't have to, just like don't go to the restaurant. But if you do test positive, then you should stay home for five more days.
1: I'm already lost. And everybody's saying,
2: why give me the option to test? Make me take a test before I can leave. And if I'm just like a layperson, person, I think that doesn't make sense. Why are the science people saying that that's fine?
0: I honestly I couldn't be able to tell you the details of this because I, I too am confused <laughs> by the messaging. Um, I'll tell you, I think the reason why is, is simple. It's like they are finally starting to understand that they can't eradicate the disease, and yet they also are starting to finally understand that these rules they put in place disrupt the lives of so many people without actually having a a, a tangible public health benefit. And it's because they're caught in the middle between these two goals that the policies they pick and the way they communicate about them is always going to be confusing. There's no way around it until they squarely embrace the idea of protection of the vulnerable without, while disrupting society as little as possible. I think that has got to be what they the first thing? It's all you know. It's all in in, um, in any organization, you first start with a vision, a mission statement, and then all of the communication flows from that. Their vision is long and that's why their communication is bad.
1: Yeah, but 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 is but is part, and maybe the entire problem, doctor. That that as much as people want to try to keep politics out of this, it's unfortunate, but politics does get into it, and and is is part of the sort of original sin, if you will, is that new administration comes. And says, you know, we are going to get a handle on the pandemic. We're gonna, we're gonna stop this. And to your point, that was always unreasonable to, to, to say. And now nobody wants to back down and admit they were wrong about that because, from a political point of view, it isn't too good.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I personally, when I see a politician change course, admit that they was, they was, that they were on the wrong course, and then say, look, we've, we've, we've rethought this. Uh, we've reached out to the other side, and we've come up with a, a, a plan that that's actually achievable. I, I, I tend to forgive the politician that does that. I mean, lots and lots of politicians on both sides have made enormous mistakes during the pandemic and, of course, always before. And to me, honesty about that and then adopting a new goal, a reasonable goal that actually improves the outcomes and well being of the population, any, any political group that does that will be rewarded.
2: Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, Stanford Medical School doctor. Thanks.
1: Coming up after a short break amid the current Omicron surge, are you already thinking of doing away with your New Year's resolution? It's a new year, and that means New Year's resolutions, of course, one of the most popular resolutions, is to try and lose weight in the new year. But with the pandemic already wreaking havoc on 2022, some people might find it hard to find ways to stay healthy.
2: The experts say you got to stick with it, even if you're not seeing the results you want on the scale. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford practices obesity medicine in Massachusetts General. So, doctor, what are the benefits of exercise other than the actual weight loss?
4: So on average, when we look at exercise and the impact it plays for most people, and notice I said most, nothing's 100%, but for most people, what we see is that it causes weight stability. So on average, most Americans gain weight year after year after year in adulthood until they reach about the age of 60. So what we could do is instead of you having that consistent weight gain up until the age of 60, exercise helps quell that and helps makes it, makes you maintain a weight, even if it may not be the weight that you like. So think about it that way. We're preventing weight gain as opposed to often causing dramatic weight loss.
2: What else does it do to our body when we're at a certain level of activity through the week, even if you're not like totally changing everything when you look in the mirror, because we're meant to move around. Right. That's part of the right. the whole thing. We're not supposed to be sitting at desks all day. We're like, you know, hunter gatherers.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So physical activity has a lot of positive benefits for weight it causes stability. But let's think of all the other positive benefits we get. Number one, it improves your mental health. I always tell my patients exercise is the antidepressant that people don't want to take. Does it make sense? Because you actually don't have to take a pill. All you have to do is get moving and get grooving, right? So that's one thing that's extremely important. It improves your overall heart health. So when we look at people in terms of longevity, um, the quality of life that they live throughout their life, those that are most physically active, and by that, I mean at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity physical activity per week, which means that you could do maybe talking during the activity, but you couldn't sing during the activity. So heart health is extremely important. And then I would say the other key thing I want to talk about is metabolic health. So by being active, it reduces your likelihood of having obesity, diabetes, and other metabolic diseases.
1: Well, not singing is good for me because I don't like to sing even when I'm standing <laughs> still, let alone, let alone exercising. But, but uh, is there one particular kind of exercise that's better than another?
4: You know, it's interesting. I always tell my patients the best exercise is the exercise that they'll do, and they'll do consistently for the rest of their lives. So that's number one. That would be my number one point point of advice. But if you look at the studies, um, when we look at interval style training, so training that incorporates both cardio and strength and alternating sets, that tends to be overall most effective um, for disease. Um, And so I always encourage people to alternate between cardio and strength Um, And even if they want to do that on separate days, that's fine. But if they can do that all within one setting of one workout, that's even more ideal.
2: Is the 10,000 steps a day thing real or did somebody just make that up at some point?
4: No, that's actually real. So 10,000 steps for most of us would be the equivalent of walking five miles a day. You can imagine that about... Uh, 80% of Americans don't reach that every day, so um, we are well below that number. I think that target was given, you know, and that was actually back in the the early 90s that we really started to see that number come into um, the limelight um, when we recognized that people were leading mostly sedentary lives, and you can imagine that during this current pandemic that we've become even more sedentary as Zoom has become something that's part of our lexicon, right? Um, as we sit in front of our computer screens all day working um, for those of us that have, you know, stay at home work orders. Um, and so it's just con- intensified over time. So what exercise
1: do I need to do and yet eat as much as I want? Donuts on Friday. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> well, I would say that that's that's a problem that we think, you know, exercise doesn't compensate for, you know, all the other choices that we might be making that may not be as advantageous. <laughs> Um, I would say, like I said, find your soulmate workout. So for example, I live in the Northeast. Um, I do not like skiing. So that would not be the exercise that my doctor should tell me to do, because if they told me that that was the activity I had to do, I would be completely inactive. I am someone who loves, loves, loves physical activity. And so on average, I'm doing about 350 to 400 minutes of moderate to high intensity interval training per week. That's because I found the exercises that I unlike, which include everything from kickboxing to high intensity interval training to using a Peloton bike, doing beach body on demand, less mills on demand, et cetera. Um, and it's about finding what I like and what I enjoy. Do you, and I make do it a priority.
1: Sn- do you sneak a donut in?
4: I, I have a gluten sensitivity, so no, not Oh, really. okay. <laughs>
1: yeah. so, okay.
4: Well, there are, there are some gluten-free donuts out there, but most of them aren't there you aren't, go. Aren't, aren't, aren't as good as, as a lot of the ones that probably are gluten-containing. <laughs> so.
2: All right. Dr. Fatima uh, Cody-Stanford practices obesity medicine in Massachusetts General.
1: We could be looking at yet another booster shot later this year. Moderna's CEO says his company is looking at producing a booster dose geared towards the Omicron variant, and he anticipates that Americans will need another shot in the fall of 2022 as the vaccine's effectiveness wanes over the next few months. He says the UK and South Korea have already ordered a fourth round of shots.
2: This is an Odyssey original. Find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Stitcher.